0: Jesus in another place, and the scripture says, I did not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Begs the question, are you righteous, or are you a sinner? If you are a sinner, then Jesus is calling you to repentance. Jesus begins his public ministry with these words, to repentance. It's also the same words that we find in the Acts of the Apostles. When Jesus is ascended into heaven, St. Peter and, and John go into the streets of Jerusalem, and St. Peter says to the people of Jerusalem Repent, repent, believe in the kingdom of God. You put the Lord and Savior to death, repent. St. Paul in Romans, which is the first of his 13 letters in the New Testament, it goes on to say the same exact thing Repent and believe in the gospel. It's where a relationship with the gospel, or in Greek, the good news of God begins, is with us acknowledging that we're sinners and repenting of our sins. We hear a lot in our day and age about mercy, that God is mercy, mercy this and mercy that. That's good to hear, it's good to hear. But that's mercy for the repentant. So Satan and the fallen angels were not repentant. God would give them mercy if they were, had been repentant, but they were not. They were stubborn in their sin and their willfulness, etc., and for that they could not live in heaven, and they were driven out of heaven. God is merciful to all the repentant, anyone who repents of their sins and strives to amend their life. God has great mercy upon them, for Jesus did not come into the world to destroy the world, but to save us, but to save those who are repentant. In our first reading today, we hear Jonah. Jonah is being told by God, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. And I want you to tell Nineveh to repent. It's fallen into great sin, just like the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't even know where those cities are anymore. We think that they're at the bottom of the Dead Sea, which is a salt, huge, gigantic, super salty lake is what it is anymore. But Nineveh still stands. It's in northeastern Syria. I think the Muslims renamed it, but it's still Nineveh. Nineveh was not destroyed by God. It was not destroyed by God because they actually repented, which is so very, very rare. The vast majority of the time that God calls people to repentance, they don't do it. They continue in their comfortable status quo, whatever that is, because repentance has at its core a change in behavior in life. And we don't want to change. We like our flesh pots and our TVs. We don't like to change. But Nineveh goes pack, or Jonah goes packing off to Nineveh, and he finally, after much fighting with God about this and being a spoiled brat and the whole bit, he finally goes to Nineveh and walks through the town skulking and telling him to repent. And, and what was amazing about Nineveh is that the king and the people listened to him and thought, this is true. God will destroy us unless we repent. And so they went to their closets and got their sackcloth and ashes and put it on, and sat around for a few days until God was appeased by their penance. But even then, Jonah went off to skulk some more. What a sad story. In our second reading today, St. Paul tells us, quote, Time is running out, for the world in its present form is passing away. He doesn't say that the world is passing away, but rather that it's in its present form it's passing away. For in our present form, we're passing away. Everyone's life is as short as the blink of an eye. As short as the blink of an eye. And in the blink of an eye, people won't repent, which is stunning, because all eternity, unimaginable, unfathomable time lay ahead of us. And the decisions that we make right here in this blink of an eye determine that eternity. And so Jesus tells us, The word repent is mentioned 101 times in the Bible. I looked it up in my concordance. It's telling us, repent, repent, repent and get straight with God. Why don't we? Why don't we? Well, before we get to that, how about why repent? Why does Jesus insist on this? Jesus tells us in Luke 13, 3, he says, quote, But I tell you, if you do not repent, you will all perish. If we're just going to sum it all up, all of the the times he speaks of repentance, the the parables that he has of narrow, difficult roads and people going this way and that way, etc. If we just sum it all up, we can boil it down to that one statement in Luke 13, 3. Jesus, but I tell you, if you do not repent, you'll all perish. That will be for nothing if we don't repent. So we repent because our salvation is dependent upon it. And we also repent, too, because we want liberty to live in virtue and grace in this life. So not even just to get into heaven in the next life, but to enrich and make this life much, much better. Because by its nature, sin slaves, It enslaves. Most people listening to my voice right now have a bad habit or multiple bad habits. And you know how you want to break those bad habits in whatever form they might take. And how hard it is. How the intention is, I'll get to it, etc. kind of thing. But sin enslaves, it binds. It truly does. And our Lord truly wants to liberate us. He does. He loves us so much, so much. Begs the question, what do I have to repent of? I mean, based upon how many Catholics don't go to confession, you would think that Catholics apparently are sinless, or they have nothing to repent of anyway. But we have a lot to repent of, a great deal to repent of. Just a few things to kind of kind of stir the sediment of our mind and, and maybe help deliver some light onto the subject. Here's something that most people can repent of. Too much time with the television set on. If I was to sue my parents for one act of malfeasance, it would be that, that they ever had a TV set in our home. I wasted six to 14 hours a day of my childhood from the time I was two years old to the time I graduated high school and left home. What could I have done with six to 14 hours a day of time? Well, multiple things. I could have done my homework, which I never seemed to find time to do. I was too busy watching television could have practiced the piano. I was kind of good at it. All of my siblings, we all had to uh, practice the piano. Myself and one, maybe two other sisters, kind of had a natural aptitude for it. And I even wanted to take piano lessons. I was in grade school. I kept bothering my mom. Please let me take lessons. Let me take lessons. But there was a rule. You had to wait to the fifth grade or something. I think she might have let me start in the fourth or something. But there I was. It didn't take long before I wasn't practicing at all. Why? Because I was wasting my time on television. Watching too much television can be a mortal sin. So can spending too much time on your smartphone. The average American checks their smartphone at least 40 times a day, teenagers over 100 times a day. We can get by on checking our smartphones half as much, and our day will be just as wonderful and full and just as informed. Too much time on the internet, surfing the internet, YouTube videos and TikTok and whatever else. Too much time with sports hours a week on sports who's being drafted, who's being recruited and and not even counting the games for women, too much time or focus on shopping not enough time with prayer imagine spending even one fraction of the time that we do with a screen on in front of our face, using one fraction of that time for prayer or when we do pray, it's distracted and we only give God a couple of minutes that might be a moral sin I know for myself, I don't pray the office, that's a mortal sin. It might be, in your particular case, whoever you might be as an individual, a mortal sin for you not to be praying more. Spiritual reading. The vast majority of Catholics do no spiritual reading, nothing. Just whatever. Ignorant of the Bible, ignorant of other incredible, phenomenal spiritual writings by saints, the lives of the saints, incredible insights into God, into the spiritual life, not doing hardly any or any at all because, well, the TV sets on. That right there could be mortal sin. Failing to do our chores at home. You know, that garage has been needing to be cleaned out and organized forever. And it just doesn't happen closets at home, the kitchen, whatever it might be. The laundry isn't being done. Why? Because we're not being disciplined with our time. That could be serious sin. Time spent with spouse and kids. Not enough time. Dad comes home from work, throws himself on the couch, turns on the TV, eats dinner, gets back before the TV. That's the end of the night. No meaningful time with his wife and kids no time helping his kids with the homework. That could be serious sin. A lonely neighbor who needs you to call them. A lonely family member that you haven't reached out to in a while. These are all things that are just simply low-hanging fruit for the vast majority of people. And we hardly ever think to repent of these things. We just go, oh no, repentance is only for those things that I did that I know that God really doesn't like. But there's lots of things that we don't do that are incredibly offensive and need to be repented of. And then, of course, there are the sins of commission, the seven deadly sins, and the hundreds of sins that spin off from the seven deadly sins. Pride, envy, greed, gluttony, wrath, sloth, and lust. The truth of the matter is that a good examination of conscience could take a good amount of time, given the average Catholic's failure to do a good examination of conscience, or being simply out of practice and not really knowing even how to do one. But needless to say, we do have a lot to repent of. We truly do. And our Lord wants us to do that. How can we repent? Well, privately, it would be wonderful if we did that every day. In religious life, there's an expectation that at the end of the day, we would have an examination of conscience and look back over the day at our sins of commission and our sins of omission. And then we would say to our Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry. And I'll work on that. At least maybe one thing. I'll work on one of these things for tomorrow. But then, of course, there's the great gift the great gift that Jesus has given us this incredible gift of salvation that after baptism would be the second most important sacrament, the sacrament of confession. Imagine having all of your sins removed. And if you're not a Catholic, you can't. You die in mortal sin. What a scary, scary way to die. What's even more scary is for a Catholic to have access to confession and then never use it. And then now you've got all of your sins, plus the one called arrogance that says, I rejected this sacrament out of some pride or some vanity or fear which only came from pride in the first place. So Jesus gives to us this great, great sacrament of repentance where he says, I will take away your sins if only you'll come. And yet the vast majority of Catholics don't come, or at least with any frequency. Some of you hearing my voice don't ever go to confession. What a sad, sad thing. What a sad thing. So just to be reminded, the Church tells us that we have to go to confession at least once a year if we're aware of mortal sin, and the vast majority of us do have mortal sin. With that said, the Church has always recommended monthly confessions. If you were to get to confession once a month for the rest of your life, it would be the greatest gift that you could give to yourself. I say that in personal testimony. For my own life and in the lives of many penitents, if you were to get to confession once a month for the rest of your life, your life would be profoundly changed for the better. Many of you try to get to Mass once a a week, Maybe if you just add on confession once a month, what that would do for you, and then what that would do for your loved ones through you as you become sanctified. St. John Paul II and St. Teresa, Cal- Teresa of Calcutta, the two statues in the corner, they both went to confession weekly. Their worst day as a saint was better than my best day. If they're going weekly... What's any of our excuses for not going at least monthly? What do we have to gain? Eternal life. The beatific vision. Light beyond all light. Love that pervades every cell of our body. Joy and happiness for countless never-ending eons of time. That's what we have to gain. We have that to gain for ourselves and that to gain for other people as we sanctify our lives by repenting of our sins and amending our lives and then bringing other people with us into that same light, into that same salvation. And lastly, freedom. Freedom from our sins. I know from doing Exodus 90 that, boy, one is not liberated of their bad habits overnight. Uh, that That takes a lot of dedicated effort over time. There's a reason why Exodus 90 is 90 days long. Is because it takes, they found, it takes like that long to break a bad habit. 40 days you would hope, but 90 days is more realistic. And as I go through Exodus 90, I'm like, okay, just like, all right. Think of it as 45 and 45. 45 just to like get to the Red Sea. And then 45 to get through the Red Sea. Pharaoh is kind of a figure of Satan. And as Moses approaches Pharaoh and says, God wants you to let his people go. Pharaoh's like, no way, man. No way. So God gives him ten different plagues, and Pharaoh just obstinately resists and resists, I am not going to let you go. Satan's saying, I am not going to let you go. And even when he finally does relent and says, okay, you can go now. The people make it to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh gets his army together to go slaughter him. Satan wants nothing more than than to slaughter you, to murder you, to kill you, to drag you into damnation for eternity. And Jesus wants nothing more than to set you free. And all we have to do is repent. That's all we have to do. A little dash of humility and to repent. And there it is. Eternal life and freedom from sin and the enslavement of sin in this life. So repent. So repent. Take advantage of confession. It's an incredible gift. It's an incredible gift that the vast majority of the human race knows nothing about. You do. You do. Take advantage of it. Grow to become that person that Christ created you to be. And then lead others to be that person that Christ created them to be.